invite you to take your scripture and turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of Job. I'll be reading from Job chapter uh, 35 uh, into chapter 36. Job 35, uh, we'll read through to verse uh, 21 uh, of the 36th uh, chapter. You'll remember we are hearing now from uh, Elihu. He has already spoken twice uh, to Job. You remember uh, Elihu has come uh, as a true friend. He's come as a better uh, counselor. Uh, he's come as one who is for Job and and with Job and wants the best for Job, but yet he knows that Job needs to remember uh, certain things about God, even in his suffering. And as he has been responding to his suffering, and uh, Elihu has already reminded Job that God is greater uh, than Job thinks, and that God is, God is just, and Job needs to remember these things uh, in his suffering. And so we come again uh, to Elihu and his counsel uh, for Job here in Job 35. This is the word of the Lord. And Elihu answered and said, Do you think this to be just? Do you say, it is my right before God, that you ask, what advantage have I? How am I better off than if I had sinned? I will answer you and your friends with you. Look at the heavens and see. And behold the clouds, which are higher than you. If you have sinned, what do you accomplish against him? And if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give to him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness concerns a man like yourself, and your righteousness, a son of man. Because of the multitude of oppressions, people cry out, they call for help because of the arm of the mighty, but none says, where's God my maker who gives songs in the night, who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of the heavens? There they cry out, but he does not answer because of the pride of evil men. Surely God does not hear an empty cry, nor does the Almighty regard it. How much less when you say that you do not see him, that the case is before him and, and you're waiting for him. And now because his anger does not punish and he does not make, take much note of transgression, Job opens his mouth in empty talk. He multiplies words without knowledge. And Elihu continued and said, bear with me a little and I'll show you. For I have yet something to say on God's behalf. I will get my knowledge from afar and ascribe righteousness to my maker. For truly my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Behold, God is mighty. And does not despise any. He's mighty in strength of understanding. He does not keep the wicked alive, but gives the afflicted their right. He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but with kings on the throne, he sets them forever, and they are exalted. And if they're bound in chains and caught in the cords of affliction, then he declares to them their work and their transgressions, but they are behaving arrogantly. He opens their ears to instruction and commands that they return from iniquity. If they listen and serve him, they complete their days in prosperity and their years in pleasantness. But if they do not listen, they perish by the sword and die without knowledge. The godless in heart cherish anger. They do not cry for help when he binds them. They die in youth and their life ends among the cult prostitutes. He delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens their ear by adversity. 
He also allured you out of distress into a broad place where there was no cramping, and what was set on your table was full of fatness. But you are full of the judgment on the wicked. Judgment and justice seize you. Beware lest wrath entice you into scoffing, and let not the greatness of the ransom turn you aside. Will your cry for help avail to keep you from distress or all the force of your strength? Do not long for the night when peoples vanish in their place. Take care. Do not turn to iniquity. For this you have chosen rather than affliction. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that uh, you have given us your word. We thank you, Lord, that on a, on a Lord's Day evening, we come not to, uh, to hear the, uh, the words of, of men uh, that have no life and no hope, uh, but we come to, to hear your very word that you have given to us. And we thank you that you've given us that, that truth, that the scripture, that all scripture is breathed out by you, the living God. And so we pray, Lord, that you would give us hearts and and minds to hear that word tonight, that you would work that word deep within us uh, for your glory and for our good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, some of you may have heard of the um, biblical counselor. He uh, works for uh, Christian Counseling Education Foundation. His name is Alistair uh, Groves. Uh, Alistair Groves, he's the new um, administrator there. It used to be David Paulison. But a number of years ago, uh, Alistair Groves wrote a, uh, a little article, uh, Nine Ways to Confront in Love. And uh, this is what he said. Confrontation gets a bad rap with good reason. It's scary, it's hard to do well, and it often goes poorly. Yet the Bible's clear that confronting can be a vital element of love. Throughout the Bible, God confronts his people over and over again, not despite his love for them, but because he loves them. From Eden to Sinai, from the reigns of the judges to the exile, and above it all at the cross, God confronts his people in their sin because he wants to protect them, bless them, and help them repent and walk in the path of life. But for those of us who are wary of confrontation, it seems like the path of righteousness uh, is to stay out of someone else's business. And the fact that being judgmental is practically the greatest sin in our culture doesn't help. It tempts many of us to justify our timidity and live and let live. So when we see something wrong or destructive in a brother or sister, we judge from a distance, gossip about the person, or simply pretend there isn't a problem and ignore it. Of course, there's also a group with the opposite problem. They thrive on confrontation and chomp at the bit to put others in their place. We all know people who are full of harsh words. They're short on compassion and have a string of broken relationships littered in their wake. Conflict avoiders like me point to such confrontation hawks as our reason for withholding life-giving words of caution and challenge, just as I'm sure confronters look at us cowardly nice guys and justify their more engaged style. We need help, says Groves, obeying God's command to love in this way. He calls us to have a fierce commitment to the true good of others by being willing to confront their sin. This includes when the sin directly affects you as well as when it has no impact on you. The more we understand when to confront and how it can fit into the normal flow of relationships, the more the avoiders will step up and the attackers uh, will ease off. Knowing how and when to confront in love. Uh, I wonder if you have ever had to confront uh, a friend Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful 
Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Uh, A faithful friend. Well, as a true friend, we know that uh, Elihu has told us he is for Job. He is with Job. As a uh, better counselor who's preparing the way for the words of the Lord himself, uh, we know that uh, he is speaking truth. As a friend uh, who wants to be faithful, uh, Elihu has another message for Job. Uh, You'll remember that after all these messages, um, Job doesn't speak. And so uh, the uh, thought perhaps is that these truths are sinking in for Job. We've heard Elihu say to Job in his suffering and in his response to suffering, God is greater uh, than you think. We always need to remember uh, that in our suffering and in our questions and in our trials, uh, God is much bigger uh, than we imagine. We also need to know, Elihu says to Job in an earlier chapter, God is the just governor of all. That um, it's not Job that somehow uh, God Almighty is accountable to you. Uh, You are accountable to God, and so am I, says Elihu. We are all creatures. Uh, He is the the creator, and uh, it's not he that is accountable to us. It's we that are accountable to God. He is just. Don't doubt that, Job, even in your suffering. Uh, And tonight, uh, in this chapter in a bit, we find out that Elihu wants Job to know uh, that while God is uh, greater, God is just, uh, God is also good. God God is good, Job. You need to remember that in your suffering. Now, every Christian child, of course, is taught at one time or another to pray, God is great and God is good, and we thank him for our food. By his hand, we must be fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Job, says Elihu, God is good. God is good because he, Job, is the giver. He is the giver. The problem Elihu believes that Job has is that Job believes that God is somehow in his debt. Notice what Elihu says of Job in verse 3. Do you think it's right uh, to say this? Do you think this is just to say before God, verse 3, that you ask, what advantage have I? How am I better off than if I had sinned? In other words, as Elihu reflects on what he's heard uh, Job speaking, he's been hearing Job uh, say that, uh, seem to say that whether you are righteous or whether you are wicked, all things happen alike. Uh, And so in one sense, what does it profit me? We hear Job say, what does it profit me to pray? And so Elihu hears Job saying, Uh, What does it profit me to walk with the Lord? What do I gain? Uh, That is, what is my reward for, you know, for walking faithfully uh, with God? I have done a lot for God. You would think he would take note of that and reward me accordingly. I have been good uh, to him. And so Elihu says in verse 7, if you are righteous, what do you give to him? Or what does he receive from your hand. Elihu says to Job, that is, can we ever put God uh, into our debt so that at some point uh, we can somehow claim that God somehow uh, owes us? What does it profit me to walk in the ways of God? Um, And uh, Elihu says, what have you truly ever given to God? Now, as we think about this, well, verse 6, notice what Elihu says. If you've sinned, what do you accomplish against him? And if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? 
Verse 8, your wickedness concerns a man like yourself, and your righteousness, a son of man. And so as you look at those verses, it might seem that Elihu seems to be saying that God doesn't care uh, about what happens uh, on the earth. Uh, This is something that we uh, kind of thought that um, Eliphaz said earlier in the book of Job. You might go back to uh, Job 22, uh, where Eliphaz said this, Can a man be profitable to God? Surely he who is wise is profitable to himself. Is it any pleasure to the Almighty if you're in the right? Or is it gain to him uh, if you make your ways blameless? Now, when we looked at that passage, we thought, well, what is Eliphaz saying there? Is he saying that somehow God doesn't care about what happens on the earth? Is this what Elihu is saying to Job? In other words, what does your wickedness to God, what is your righteousness to God doesn't care about what's happening on the earth? Well, that's not what Elihu is saying, because we know over in the other chapter, chapter 36, that we just read together in verse 7 of chapter 36, Elihu will say this, He, that's God, does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous. But with kings on the throne, he sets them forever, and they are exalted. Verse 6, he does not keep the wicked alive, but gives the afflicted their right. And so, no, Elihu is very much aware that there is a difference between the wicked uh, and the righteous. Uh, But what uh, Elihu is saying uh, is that um, by what we do, uh, whether we are sinners, whether we are righteous, uh, God is not like a man that he is somehow dependent on. Uh, on the works of men. Uh, one, uh, one author put it like this. Elihu's not suggesting that God does not care how Job or anyone else behaves. After all, he's counseling Job in God's name to cease fighting with God and to submit to him. So he clearly thinks our actions have moral and spiritual significance. So it's not that God doesn't care. He's saying that since we cannot affect the blessedness of God by our actions... There's no way we should expect to gain any kind of leverage with him. We cannot say to God, if I stop sinning, I expect you'll feel happier and reward me. Or I'm sure my good behavior has made your day better. So it seems to me that you owe me one in return. So to ask what advantage I may expect to gain from my piety is the wrong question. It's a question that reveals I have not properly taken on board the transcendence of God and therefore his impassibility Uh, and immutability. Uh, Elihu says, Job, uh, you are saying to yourself, what profit is it uh, that I walk faithfully, that I cling truly to God? Um, uh, What what, what do I gain from this? Elihu says, this is what what you're saying, but you can't give, Elihu says, you can't give anything to God. I think, of the, uh, I think of the scene in the New Testament where uh, the Apostle Paul is proclaiming the gospel uh, to the, the men gathered uh, there in Athens, those who love to hear something new. Remember what he said in Acts 17, 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God is the one who gives to man life and breath and everything. And so he is not, he's not like a Roman or a Greek god, for instance, where you know, the, uh, the pagan gods were those who, well, they, they gave them sacrifices because they believed that those gods were literally hungry and they needed food. And unless you provided it, they would go hungry. God's not one who, who needs, he, he is pleased 
to enter into a relationship uh, with us. But Elihu says to Job, don't ever think that somehow you have God in your debt so that you could say to him, uh, uh, I've done all this for you. Surely, surely you will reward me for all the good I have given to you. We need to go really a, a step beyond Elihu. Job's not the only one, of course, to ask such a question. That is, what advantage have I? How am I better off than if I had sinned? Christians ask this question. It goes like this. Why should I continue to walk faithfully with the Lord? Especially if I encounter adversity. This is where the, uh, this is where the language of the, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism that we went through uh, some time ago is a great help. It's not wrong to ask, what is the benefit of walking with God? It's not wrong to ask that. Or what is the benefit of fearing God? In fact, Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And so then in the Heidelberg Catechism, for instance, here are some of the questions from the Heidelberg Catechism, a Reformed Confession, Reformed Catechism of the church. Uh, Here's question 21. Are all people then saved through Christ just as they were lost through Adam? Answer, no. Only those are saved who through true faith are grafted into Christ and accept uh, all his benefits. Here's another question. How does the holy conception and birth of Christ benefit you? Uh, Well, he's our mediator. Here's another question. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Here's another question. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? How does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? How does this glory of Christ our head benefit us? What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? Through true faith, he makes me share in Christ and all his benefits. How does holy baptism remind and assure you that Christ's one sacrifice on the cross benefits you personally? Uh, How does the Holy Supper remind and assure you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his benefits? Since we've been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, why then should we do good works? So that with our whole lives we may show that we are thankful to God uh, for his benefits. (laughs) So it's not wrong to to know that, uh, well, if if I walk with... Yes, there are a flood of benefits. There are a flood of of blessings that come to us through faith in Jesus Christ. But Elihu is saying to Job, God is the one who gives to us. God is the one who pours out his benefits upon us. We do not give anything to God. He is the one who pours out his blessings upon us. He is is good. He is pleased with obedience. We do no good on our own strength, but by grace through faith in union with Christ, we're accepted, the Bible says, in the beloved, and then God is pleased uh, with our obedience and faithfulness, and he will reward that faithfulness, the Bible says, in his time uh, and in his way. God is good. He is the giver. We don't give to God. We receive (laughs) all his benefits. God, Job, uh, is good. The second thing that Elihu wants Job to know in this part of his uh, speech is this. God is good, and he answers uh, answers the cry of faith. He does. 
You need to know that, Job. He's good. He answers the cry of faith. Notice what he says, verse 9. Because of the multitude of oppressions, people cry out. They call for help because of the arm of the mighty. But none says, where is God, my maker, who gives songs in the night, who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of the heaven? There they cry out, but he does not answer because of the pride of evil men. So Elihu believes that Job is not approaching God in his suffering with a heart of faith. He is concerned that in Job's suffering, Job has allowed, in his response to the suffering he's experienced, he's allowed pride to creep in. And more than that, Job is, uh, Job is suggesting that despite the fact that he's calling out to God, that God doesn't see, that God doesn't care, and that he won't answer Job. You're not answering me, God, if he would only answer. And Elihu says, no, Job, God is good. He answers. He answers the cry of, of faith. Elihu saying that the cry of faith trusts in the goodness of God, even when the answer is long in coming, and even when the answer is contrary to our expectations, and even uh, when the answer is, is no. And in fact, you know that the answer to Job's cry of, um, of, of why this suffering, God will not answer ever in this book. Oh, he will speak, and we will come to that soon. But, but as far as why this suffering, was God going to explain to Job why this was happening right now in his life in this way? Did Job somehow, uh, uh, that God was in his debt to get, God will never answer Job and that question. But he will speak to Job. There are reasons why God does not give us what we ask of him. That's what Elihu is saying to Job. The answer lies in affirming that though the reason may be withheld from us, it is known to him who is all wise. You know, he is the maker, Elihu says. He is the maker. Derek Thomas, in his uh, uh, sermons on Job, wrote about uh, a southern uh, Presbyterian pastor and theologian in the 19th century, John Gerardo, who had uh, returned from a visit uh, to the Confederate Army uh, to Charleston and uh, had to explain uh, why God had not heard their prayers that they might have victory in their struggles for southern independence. And this is what Pastor Gerardo said to the congregation. He said, To him who thus in disappointment and suffering, baffled in his hopes and tempted to skepticism, yet honors God by a meek and uncomplaining submission due from a sinful, short-sighted creature to infinite wisdom and absolute sovereignty, it will in time be made conspicuously to appear that temporary suffering is but the prelude to everlasting blessing. Do not despair, he said to the church, because your prayers for certain blessings have for a time been unanswered. Where is your faith? Where is your allegiance to your almighty, all-wise, all-merciful sovereign? Collect yourself, put on the panoply of God, that is the armor of God. Look up, God your redeemer and deliverer reigns. See, he sits on yonder throne and suns and systems of light are but the sparkling dust beneath his feet. 
Thousands of thousands of shining seraphs minister before him. Infinite empire is in his grasp. His eye is upon his afflicted. It is good, the psalmist said, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Elihu wants Job to look up in faith. This is what he said in verse 5. Look at the heavens and see. Behold the clouds uh, which are higher than you. He's saying, trust in the maker who gives wisdom to his people, which animals don't have. More than that, Elihu says to Job, God is good. And he gives songs in the night, even to those who, who cry out to them, to him in their suffering. Where's God, my maker? This is what we need to pray. Where's God, my maker, who gives songs in the night? That is songs in the darkness. I think of, I think of, uh, I think of Paul and Silas. I think of uh, their ministering with all their might, all their heart, uh, in Philippi. They are faithfully serving the Lord. Lydia is converted to faith. Uh, a young uh, woman who has an uh, evil spirit is cured, and they are serving the Lord with all their heart. And then the Bible says the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates, this is after they've been serving faith the Lord, the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet uh, in the stocks. And so, Lord, I'm walking faithfully with you. What is my, what is, what is my reward? Paul and Silas might have said, here we are faithfully serving you, but all we receive is suffering. And then the very next verse goes like this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure you've read that passage, but that between verse 24 and 25, you're saying, what happens here? What happens between these two verses that you're faithfully serving the Lord and you're saying, Lord, what does it profit me to walk in your ways when I'm thrown in prison, beaten with rods? The Bible says, no, they, as they're in that prison, the Lord gives them a, a song in the night. And so as they're praying, they're singing. And their singing is used by the Lord in the lives of the prisoners around them. See, God is, God is good. He, he answers uh, the cry of faith. But uh, Elihu has to confront Job. Verse 15, he says, And now because his anger, he's talking about God, his anger does not punish. He does not take note, much note of transgression. Job opens his mouth in empty talk. He multiplies words without Knowledge. Job, you, um, you are saying too much to God. God is good. Job, don't expect God to answer you if you think God is in your debt or that somehow we have a right to be heard by the Lord. No matter how we approach him, you need to come in faith. You need to come trusting that even though you don't, you don't know what the answer is, even though the answer might be delayed, even though the answer might be no, uh, you still need to come before him uh, trusting and you're, you're multiplying words without knowledge, Job. This isn't good. 
Now, you might say to yourself, well, wait a minute, maybe, maybe Elihu is being too hard. Maybe this is a Christian friend here that's being a little too hard on someone who has had all this suffering and in his response to suffering. Now, maybe Elihu here is, is just being too hard, um, but he's not. He's actually anticipating as a better counselor. He's anticipating what God himself will say to Job in the opening words of Job 38. When the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said to Job, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Elihu's not being harsh to Job. He is a better counselor. He is a, he is a better friend. And he's simply saying to Job, listen, Job, God is, is good. You could never give anything to God that... He would be in your debt. Yes, remember all his benefits. And especially when you are in this suffering, cling to that, that truth. All that you, you have is from him. Trust him. He is good, Job. He is good. He answers the cry uh, of faith. You don't, you don't know what the answer is. You can't see what, what God is doing, but you can trust him. And he's the one who gives, he gives songs even in the night, even in the darkness. You can sing his praises as you trust him by faith and Job, God is good, he, he, uh, he sees, uh, and he delivers, he sees, and he saves. Beginning in chapter 36, Elihu continued and said, bear with me a little, and I'll show you, for I have something to say on God's behalf. I will get my knowledge from afar, that means it comes from God, and ascribe righteousness to my maker. For truly my words are not false, they're not false because they come from afar, they come from God. One who is perfect in knowledge is, is with you. Now, Elihu is there is not talking about himself. He is talking about the Lord, because later in chapter 37, Elihu will say this of the Lord, do you know the balancings of the clouds, the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? So Elihu is not claiming perfection for himself here. He's saying, I am, I am speaking God's truth he is the one who is present with us. He is perfect uh, in knowledge. He's present with you. And his truth is what you need to be meditating on and thinking on in these days. And this is what he says, verse 5. Behold, Job, God is mighty. He does not despise any. He's mighty in strength of understanding. He does not keep the wicked alive, but gives the afflicted their right. He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but with kings on the throne, he sets them forever, and they are exalted. Elihu says to Job, listen, Job, you need to understand, friend, that as you are responding to your suffering, this isn't good what you are saying. You are speaking too many words. You need to take in more of the truth about the goodness of the God you serve. He is mighty, and his eyes, Elihu says, are upon his people. He does not despise any. That's important. What he's saying is, yes, uh, we've heard already, he's the creator, right? He is the potter, and we are the clay. He is the maker, but he has made us in his image, and he's made us for a relationship with him. He's not made us to despise us or to hate us, or to treat his creation lightly, or to cast his creation aside. He's not made us as robots 
or machines. In fact, we know from the rest of Scripture, he makes a covenant with us. He's not like the gods of Rome and Greece who treat people like playthings or chess pieces on a board. Instead, the Bible says things of God like this, like Isaiah 43, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So don't ever think, Job, Elihu saying, don't ever think, yes, he's the potter, we're the clay, he is the maker, we're absolutely dependent on him, he forms us and he, he fashions us, he is, he is uh, infinitely above us, but don't ever think that ever means that he somehow despises us, he in fact has created us for his, his glory. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellences, excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, a people for his own possession. And then Peter says something I think that, that he could have written for, uh, for Job himself. 1 Peter 5, 6 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Job, God, God is good. He sees you. He saves. He delivers. He gives the afflicted their right. He sets them forever. Uh, and they are exalted. And in fact, uh, in fact, Elihu says God uses affliction in the lives of his people uh, in order to teach them. In fact, notice what he says, verse 15, he delivers, that is, God delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens their ear by adversity. What? Now, I know you've heard of the, uh, you've heard of the prosperity gospel, right? That is that, you know, God only has uh, material and physical blessings uh, in store for you. Well, here the Bible says there is something called uh, the adversity gospel that is much more realistic and true. Job, God is good. And how so? And Job's saying, well, wait a minute, but I'm suffering. And, and Job says, he delivers the afflicted by their affliction, that is, he uses their affliction. How so? Well, he opens their ear by adversity. That is, they, uh, that we are, we are more prone to hear and to listen to the truth of God uh, through adversity rather than prosperity. Have you found that to be true? When is it that you pray? When is it that you come to God in faith? When is it that you and I cast ourselves wholly 
on the purposes and the plans and the goodness and the grace and the sovereignty of God. When we've got our full bank account and we've got a great job and all our friends love us and we're popular at school and we're, you know, business is soaring and booming and uh, no health problems. We're just soaring, soaring, soaring. And we are so close to God in prayer. Well, I think all you have to do is compare the American church uh, to the church in uh, China and ask yourself, and as, as I ask myself, um, who prays more? The church in America or the church in China or the church in Africa, for that matter? Well, we'll, we'll have our answer there, won't we? Because we have such prosperity. And in fact, we've got people proclaiming that uh, prosperity is the way that God works in the life of his people. And anything less can't be from God. And here the Bible says that actually God, uh, God delivers the afflicted by their affliction. And he opens their ear by adversity. Job, God is good. You need to, you need to listen for him. You need to trust him. You need to speak less, and you need to listen more to your good and gracious God. Elihu saying, Job, those who trust the Lord through affliction are greatly blessed, but those who don't listen through adversity, those who reject God, those who blame and accuse God, and those who will not trust him in the dark will remain, says Elihu, in the dark. God is good. You need to trust him, Job. He's greater than you think. He is the just governor overall, and he is good. And so you need to take care, Job. Take care. He closes this section with, well, Alistair Groves, as he was writing about uh, confrontation, ended, uh, ended that article this way. He said, confronting is hard to do well, but don't be discouraged. It may not be as difficult as it seems. Many forms of confrontation are nothing more than a normal part of intentional and caring conversation. And don't forget, you and I needed to be confronted by love himself. We have tasted and seen that he intervenes for our good, turning us from the wrong path and toward the way of life. So I pray, said Groves, for those of you who, like me, shy away from confrontation, may you cherish Christ's saving confrontation with you more and more, and may it overflow into love for others that refuses to stand idly by when brothers or sisters stumble or even lean away from the God who calls them out of death and into life. Elihu is such a friend. We need to know, don't we? Uh, that God is greater. We need to know, don't we? That God is just. And we need to know that God is good. Elihu has one more thing to say to Job before his speeches end. And before, uh, before the Lord himself, after all these conversations... Where the Lord has been silent. One more speech for Elihu to set the stage for the Lord himself to come and to speak to us.
in our suffering. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you have given us your word. We thank you, Lord, you've not left us to ourselves. Lord, to ourselves, we are hopeless and helpless. And Lord, we uh, recognize that sometimes your word comes to us and challenges us and confronts us. Lord, we know that uh, even when we are suffering, we are called to trust in you and not to sin in our suffering or in our response to you and to remember these great truths. You are much greater than we can ever imagine or think. You are the just God to whom all will give an account and we might be able to stand before you because of Christ. And you are the good God. There are benefits that flow to us. We could give nothing to you for which we would place you in our debt. You are the one who pours out your benefits in Christ upon us over and over again. And so, Lord, we pray that when we do not seem to have an answer in our prayer, that we would know that we can still trust you, for you love us, you care for us, and we can cast all our burdens upon you because we know you love us. You have demonstrated your love for us in the sending of your one and only Son, even to die in our place. And if you have given us your Son, how much more will you not give us all things that we need? Help us, Lord, then, uh, to trust tonight in your goodness to us, that you would be glorified. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.